You're listening to a Toad Network production, putting heroes on trial because someone has to. everyone, this is Sono. And I am Amit, and you are listening to Moonspeak. I'm a magical girl rookie. Uh, I don't know if I can keep saying that, like, by the 25th episode or whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, and Sono is a vet, uh, still, you know. Um, so prepare yourself to be enchanted as we delve deep into each act, and this episode we're discussing Salem and Crystal Act 10. Moon, I believe, is what it's yes. called. Yeah. Just, just moon. Just moon. That's ski? where we're going. <laughs> hey, ski, right? <laughs> No, isn't it? And then her name is uh, yes. Skino, so yes. like Moon is in her name. Yes, okay. Every, everyone has uh, their elements in their name. <gasps> oh, how cool! I didn't even know that. Uh, Hino, it Hino, fire. Uh, Mizuno, water. Kino, uh, tree. I know, love. Uh, so they're all. Naoko went kind of blunt force. <laughs> yeah, I guess with, so. With our girls, and then uh, this sort of thing carries on with everyone we bring in later with their uh, individual group naming schemes. Okay, but y- you know what? Something funny about that um, is that similar to the structure of the narrative, uh, I'm sorry, the, I guess the, that simplicity or that kind of cliché um, way to to name things, or or to structure things, is kind of carried out, I think, but in a good way, in these episodes. Like the whole thing with the the four kings of darkness. And sorry to jump around, but like them being, you know, the loves, and and they very much mirror, you know, royalty plus knights or guardians. Um, oh yeah, no, they're they're very much the uh, the Endymion equivalent of the Sailor Guardians, even though the whole romance thing was very weird. <laughs> and um not how I've ever seen it handled. Okay. I I guess we'll get into that when we get into that. But um just like the simplistic structure I think isn't a problem if the meat of the story those are just the bones and the if the meat of the story is real solid, then uh for the most part I mean you can laugh about it, but Oh I yeah, that's and about I it. mean a lot of things have Especially, like, in series like this, there are a lot of things that have very specific naming schemes. Uh, Cardcaptor Sakura, everyone was named after flowers. Uh, Clamp did a lot of that, actually. Uh, the weirdest one is probably Magic Knight Ray Earth, where everyone is named after cars. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was a very strange thing to discover when I was, like, 13. I'm like, that is a completely out-of-left-field naming scheme for your, like, High fantasy rescue the princess saga is it what like Coupe de Ville because I, I I've only seen like the covers of them I've never watched any Ray Earth so what's what oh, are no, the names um we've Pontiac? got like <laughs> they're they're all not quite that blunt they're all specific models of cars but you've got like Lafarga uh, Zagato Lantis huh wow that's really interesting and I mean they're all uh, models that aren't uh, U.S. cars. Okay. Uh, they're all really in other other countries huh. that use yeah. Japanese makes of cars. A lot of them were never over here. 
That's interesting. That's kind of like, uh, I guess, an Evangelion. Um, they're all named after warships and stuff. Yeah. So, okay, I guess whatever. For, for the time, I guess that was a pretty common thing to do. I guess so. I'm not um, sure how common that still is. Right. It was a little weird. Anyway, um, let's just go ahead and get into um, discussing the episode. And I want, I want to uh, give a little disclaimer. Um, I forgot that we were recording, so while I made notes, I didn't truly prepare myself. So uh, this could be a very interesting, uh, fun, uh, fast and loose episode. Yeah, I also forgot we were recording because it's been crazy for everyone this week. <laughs> okay, so let's just jump right in. Uh, so my first note here is uh, the Sailor Guardians are still living their lives, carrying on with strength and confidence as they move closer to their lunar odyssey. Yeah, a lot of the slice-of-life stuff uh, that went on early in this episode was really nice. There's a great scene of Usagi with her family kind of doing the normal girl thing that was really delightfully sweet. And her dad, her father kind of picks up on the fact that she's been maturing kind of slowly and quietly for reasons he doesn't really get. And he just assumes, okay, teenage daughter growing up, it's nice to see her kind of coming into herself even though to the untrained eye, Usagi's acting kind of the way she's always acted. And her mom's like, oh no, she'll always be, you know, our, our spoiled little girl. But it, it's, it, the scene really put a lot of emphasis on, uh, kind of the simpler aspects of Usagi's life as a contrast to the big things that were coming. Yeah, that's a good point, and I really just loved how sweet um, her parents are, and it's so awesome to see, uh, you know, fictional parents, like good, solid fictional parents, and just the fact that we can have this, like, she saves the world at the end of the episode by teleporting into space or flying into space and, like, using her love magic, so, like, the ludicrous nature of that being balanced with, like, her fighting with her brother, who's using her pink, um, you know... PlayStation Vita or PSP or whatever is like so cool. Like I, I just I really love how like you said grounded and, and we get that insight, the personal insight, and that's that's uh, I think it just that's what makes the package of Sailor Moon so solid to me. Yeah, and I, I really wish that Crystal had more time to do that sort of thing because we got a lot more of that kind of in the first series and all of these little personal moments. And kind of feelings for everyone that we're getting a little short changed on because we're within such kind of close episode constraints. Alright, next note. Uh, the strength of Usagi's emotions growing with the waxing of the moon feels sweetly symbolic of her being ready to face what will come on the moon and, uh, you know, ready to save her love. Yeah, um, like, like we said, Naoko drops a lot of heavy symbolism with the girls, pretty much as often as she can. Um, later arcs of the first series, it kind of gets to the point of Michiru, uh, Sailor Neptune, using the phrase, the ocean feels, like the, the ocean is, the ocean says this, or the ocean feels that, uh, to the point where it kind of became a joke within the fandom. Um, about her using the ocean as a mouthpiece uh, for her own feelings. <laughs> because Haruka and Michiru use really heavy metaphors all the time, and it gets kind of comical. That's uh, That sounds fun, though. Um, is that... Well, never mind. Uh, I won't ask. I'll leave that for later. Um, 
Wow, did I say that twice? Okay. And then uh, all the exposition from Queen Serenity was so heavy, and I really liked it. And uh, the great thing about it was that it felt um, like a last will and testament and was therefore bittersweet, not... Uh, it didn't feel like I was being beaten over the head by it. Uh, I've, I forget who I found out was voicing Queen Serenity in Crystal. I spent, like, three days screaming at people to help me find this information because I couldn't find it, and I now can't remember who it is. But, man, she knocks it out of the park. Uh, her first couple lines to Soggy, there's just this really amazing fondness on her voice, where she's just, my serenity is home. Look at you, look how much you've grown with this this real motherly tone that really hit me hard. Uh, and Queen Serenity is used pretty much entirely for exposition, but it's such a great story that she's telling, and you can tell just how deeply she loves Princess Serenity, where she's ter- basically turning a blind eye to her daughter doing this clearly very forbidden thing. But she'll be fine. She's got her guardians. It makes her happy. I'll just let her do it. And I'll, I'll take care of the Moon Kingdom while she's off doing that. And just, they really knocked it out of the park with Queen Serenity this episode. Okay, let's see. Yeah, I was really impressed. Like, I don't know. Well, Naoka's really good at writing, like, parents and like, family, I think, um, just from the little things between Usagi's parents and Queen Serenity here. Um, so that's really impressive, because you don't always get that fair, yeah. oh, nice Oh, just treatment. you wait. Okay, good. <laughs> just just you wait until we get to uh, the Black Moon arc, which we're coming up on. Oh, cool. Uh, that's that's the next bit of the story, the, uh, the other half of our 26 episodes. Great. Just you wait. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so, uh, let's see. Oh, the Sailor Guardians pulling the uh, sword from the stone was so boss. Um, Miko- uh, Makoto's enthusiasm, um, initially was great, and then, um, Sir, Sir, I'm sorry, Venus is Mako, right? Because Vin- I'm having Minako. Minako, I'm sorry. Minako. I thought that seemed too close. Um, just missing the in there. Um, like, her determination and confidence was such a great follow-up to that, especially, like, her pulling on her glove before she jumps over there. It was just so awesome. Oh, yeah. I love how Mako's come to... Or, yeah, Mako has just come to completely embrace her strength. Like, <laughs> it, it's never been something that bothered her, but back when we first were introduced to her, she's like, okay, yeah, people are scared of how strong I am. Just whatever. I'm dealing with it. And now she's just like, oh, Usagi needs me to do a strong thing? Okay, time for a strong thing. Like, in spite of how, how feminine she wishes she was. Right. She's like, no, I'm, I'm the strong one, I'll go do the strong thing. And then just everyone else piling on. And then, uh, Minako kind of coming in like, okay, I, I, you all did, did your part, now it's time for me as the leader to kind of, to pull it out and get this going. It was, that was a really great scene. Yeah, I especially love how I felt as if in any other story it would have been Usagi who had to pull it out, or she would have, like, I don't know, cried, and it would have... You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it wouldn't have actually been her team, but they all served a purpose in getting that sword out, and then it led to this awesome moment with this hologram or whatever of Queen Serenity popping out, and I, I, I really like um, uh, 
that the programming set by her to awaken uh, for the final message after the sword was pulled out. Um, like, the, just that whole concept was really cool. Um, and I really like how alive she seemed. Yeah, I, I always really liked that Queen Serenity in, in this kind of last will hologram was able to interact instead of it being like a pre-recorded R2-D2 sort of thing. Right. <laughs> where she's able to actually communicate her will was able to survive and as kind of a testament to how advanced the moon was, but also in this kind of symbolic Serenity was able to rise again and pass the Moon Kingdom off to Princess Serenity. So I was able to come back, you can you can do this, you can bring back the moon. And I always thought that was really nice. And I also I have a huge soft spot for Queen Serenity. I hope some of our listeners followed me on Twitter and were able to watch me screaming for like three hours <laughs> over over just the whole Queen Serenity scene and how excited I got. Yeah, you know, it it would have been interesting, or an interesting alternative would have been the whole trying to interact with a machine, and you realize it's a machine or, or just a message, and there's the sadness there. But I think what was done here, I'm not going to say it's more effective, but it definitely, it, I don't think it needed to be changed. So Yeah, it, it definitely uh, suited its purpose uh, much better this way. Right. Um, so, like, I was really stricken by the, the tragedy of this lady, uh, like, <laughs> having taken her daughter to Earth to visit a little bit, and then she falls in love, and then ends up getting killed as part of, uh, Metellia's scheme to take over the Moon Kingdom and, and Earth. I guess, it, the whole thing with Metellia, we're gonna find out in the Dark Moon arc, like, what her deal is, right? Well, but, Meta- we're gonna get through Metallia in the next, uh, three episodes. Oh, okay, cool. Because, so, like, I want to know more, because she's just, like, this generic evil, pretty much, right now. Yeah, I mean, the the first series had this really amazing moment in, uh, in, in the Silver Millennium flashbacks that actually showed Queen Serenity sealing Metallia and facilitating this whole rebirth storyline, and I'm really disappointed it wasn't in Crystal. We had a lot of really, really great Silver Millennium flashbacks, but this moment of finality for Queen Serenity giving up her life and her kingdom for the sake of her daughter and her future and put it kind of putting the cats into stasis to go to earth <laughs> was I mean that putting the cats in stasis to go to earth is always really silly right. but but like the scene itself was always really powerful to me as a kid and I really loved it and again I have a huge soft spot for Queen Serenity and mother characters in general as I'm sure people have figured out about me from other uh, shows I've been on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I was really eager to kind of see that moment and was a little disappointed it didn't happen. Mm. That's too bad. Um, but I would say, and I'll see what you what you think about it, uh, that this still had a lot of great emotional pulls. Like I, oh, yes. I, I, sh- I think I shuddered um, at, like, the sound design of... Uh, Princess Serenity, like, stabbing herself in the heart. Um, and, like, I know I definitely teared up when she killed herself. Um, I'm really thankful that there was no blood, um, because that would have just been way too much, and it just doesn't fit with the tone. But, uh, like I said, just the sound design and, and the composition of the shots, like, really made me feel it. Um, and it was shocking. It was really shocking. Uh, I am the father of two girls, so that may have 
uh, something to do with why it was so uh, keenly effective on me. But man, that was that was rough. Yeah, I mean, especially given that the story is being told from the perspective of the parent, I could I can see how that would definitely make that even more rough. I have no children, also for going full disclosure on that. So I mean, that angle is a little lost on me, but. I can definitely see where you're coming from there. The scene was very, very Romeo and Juliet in a lot of ways, but it was really rough. And again, I agree. I'm glad there was no blood. That wouldn't have fit the tone of the show, the tone of what Sailor Moon is. Um, But it's always something that's kind of made me ache uh, for a really different reason. Because I really get the idea of killing your, of like being so stricken by grief that you're driven to something that extreme and because like I really get that and it's it's always a little uncomfortable having it right in front of me but it's framed in such a way that it's such a powerful moment especially when you take it from the context of Princess Serenity who's never really known any kind of grief or sorrow or war up until this moment like she's never had that put in front of her so she's got this very sudden loss of innocence where she's she had fallen into this like beautiful romance and then suddenly it's all completely taken away and she has no idea what to do with herself. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely an interesting take on it. I hadn't thought of it at, at all at all that way really. So that's that's good that you included that. Um so uh Queen's, uh, Queen Serenity's, um, redirection of the Sailor Guardian's mission, I feel, has been desperately needed. Um, as much as I've enjoyed the, uh, love story and the personal drama, uh, there really needs to be a clear mission for our heroes, and now we have it, so that's good. Yeah, it definitely brings everything back into kind of the full scope of the story and what it means to all of the girls and to the Earth and the Moon as a whole. Instead of kind of this very narrowly focused lens of uh, kind of the Usagi Mamoru romance, which is nice, but has never been something I've been particularly drawn to. I've always been more interested in the other girls, so it's kind of, it was good to see kind of the wider story coming back into play. Hmm. Yeah, and um, just a a note on, uh, like, the way the moon and the earth were related. Um, so it's exposited that um, Silver Millennium worked to protect and help progress humanity. Um, and when Queen Serenity sealed away Metalia, both the kingdoms of the moon and the earth were destroyed, at which point uh, Earth's history restarted. And since then, Silver Millennium has been just turned to stone, which I guess Metalia did in like a, a, a in her death throes or whatever. So that's that's really yeah. interesting. I mean, it, it also has a bit to do with, uh, Queen Serenity's death and then the Silver Crystal being, being sealed because that was really what powered the moon and, uh, kind of allowed the society on the moon to flourish. And that was no longer there. So, uh, she, she allowed, in doing the Serenity, allowed for the Earth to kind of restart and for everyone to get a second chance there. Right, and I think it's a really interesting concept that there is this, I don't know, this pre, uh, I don't even know, I want to say like antediluvian, but that's not even the right term, but you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. There was this society before and then everything just like crashed. Um, and it kind of makes me wonder about 
uh, what the deal was with the Earth Kingdom at the time, and I hope we get to see a little bit more of that. So, um, anyway, uh, just a note about Beryl. Um, so she's using the uh, the four kings who had served as you know Endymion's knights, as we said earlier, uh, and I really like the mirroring there. And um, I think, well, I'm, I'm a little confused as to whether or not she just wants to use them to get the silver. Uh, legendary silver crystal for herself, or if she wants to try to use them against Metallia at some point. Um, her her ambitions. Bar- Beryl is very kind of clouded in what she's doing. She's very kind of overwhelmed by the idea of power. I think. Um, she's, bas- again, this is really kind of deviating from the manga in that. Um, the aside from Kunzite, the other three kings were all dead by now. So I'm not in. I'm not a hundred percent sure where Crystal's going with that and how she plans to keep using them. Uh, aside from what we saw in in episode ten, but uh, she definitely seems more concerned with getting the things specifically that she wants, and then forget everything else. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which. I like her, um, I don't know, her forcefulness or the forcefulness of her will, her ambition, whatever. Like, I really enjoy, um, her as a villain. I, I, uh, (laughs) sorry, when she was cackling at the, uh, Sailor Guardians for putting them against their loves, I thought, um, Queen Beryl, best villain? Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, okay, so my next point. Um, so the Sailor Guardians and Dimion's Knights, um, being in love is cool, if slightly cliched. Alright. Um, and what made it work for me so well was that, what I was talking about. Um, like, her wicked delight at this, at pitting them against each other. And Usagi stopping their attacks and saving the world from orbit in outer space, uh, is like a perfect embodiment of her position as the heir to Silver Millennium. And, uh, it just shows how amazing Sailor Moon is. Yeah, uh, the, the moon healing escalation from space that just like, okay, we're healing the whole world right now. <laughs> that was, that was a great use of that and a, a great escalation of that from previous versions of this scene, uh, where she kind of saves the day first and then goes into space for that confrontation. But, the whole bit with the Guardians and the Knights uh, having this romantic past was kind of awkward for me. I know in uh, various incarnations of the franchise, there's been kind of implied things between them, because there's four of them on each side, I guess. But I think this is the first time it's ever been kind of this bluntly stated. Like, yep, you, we all had this thing in the past. <laughs> like, this, this whole bit wasn't in the manga. Like, again, aside from Kunzite, they were all dead by now, and then Kunzite died this chapter. So, like, you didn't have all four of them there for Beryl to kind of be playing that card with. And I know the first series uh, kind of just disregarded them all being Endymion's knights entirely, if I'm hmm. remembering that correctly. That wasn't a plot point at all. Beryl just had them. That's interesting. Um, it was a great moment for Beryl. But it just felt really awkward and forced having the 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 four of them and the girls all just paired off kind of out of nowhere. We did, I guess, see little hints of it kind of slowly coming over together. Uh, like, was it 
Jadeite in the Ray episode? Um, maybe when he called her a rascal or whatever. Well, no, when he had her passed out in the castle and was like, "She's kind of familiar. She's really pretty." Yeah, like I I guess there's, I guess that's there, but there was nothing that was ever really like conclusive enough to be. Oh yeah, we were all like one step away from being married in our past lives. (laughs) Right, and that just felt so weird and out of place. Yeah, it isn't the strongest thing. The only thing I can, um, I don't know, kind of use to legitimize it is like, I don't know, war brides or whatever. Like you see old couples now and it's like, oh, I was fighting in the South Pacific and, you know, I met this girl and we got married and we've been married for 50 years. Like, okay, <laughs> it's a little weird. You guys don't speak the same language and you didn't then, so like, you were just a attra- well, you know, sometimes. Whatever. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it works for you, great. <laughs> right, yeah. But, but it's, it's just it, weird. <laughs> yeah, it was just a really weird thing in this episode that didn't quite work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, that's fine. Um, Okay, so last, my last note. Uh, Wowza, Beryl is going to use Mamoru, uh, who she embraced almost lovingly and uh, called Endymion with a certain velvety tone in her voice um, to kill Usagi and take the legendary silver crystal. Am I reading that wrong? No, you're you're reading that completely right. Okay. Beryl's got some stuff we're going to have to confront in the very near future. And I'm hoping that the whole, like, Usagi Mamoru thing and Beryl's crazy Endymion thing doesn't kind of <laughs> overshadow the larger story that we're facing. Because uh, the last bits in the first series were so good. And, uh, like, the end of this arc in the first series was just really amazingly handled and I hope Crystal kind of has that much that much strength to it. Now, um this just popped into my head. I think after we get through what episode 26 and yes. this arc kind of ends. Um Well, this arc is at this arc is ending at 13. Oh, then we're okay. then we're going into Black Moon, which is an entirely new story. Okay, sorry. I'm thinking of like standard anime. Anyway, um, yeah, I forgot, man, it's been so long that we've been talking about the show that it doesn't seem, it seems like it's been around forever. Um, I guess it has. Never mind, I'm babbling now. Uh, <laughs> what I mean to say is I'll be interested after episode 13 to get your perspective on how you felt this compared to the original series, uh, and how it executed, you know, this first bit of the story. Yeah, I, I am, I am really curious to see how those compare and how this is all gonna kinda come together. Um, I'm hoping they have enough time to kind of give it as much power as it deserves. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of the weird things about manga, is I guess reading it at your own pace somehow enriches the experience, and maybe because it's black and white, you fill in a lot more of it than with an anime, you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, And I guess, again... We had the first series had a lot more time to handle this because I think they had maybe forty eight episodes mm. for this whole arc instead of thirteen, and that allows for a lot more time to do a lot more things and to uh, break your heart a lot more thoroughly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so you had a uh, a last note, right? Before we close uh, out. Yes, back to the Silver Millennium flashbacks, and we get a a couple of really good flashbacks of Serenity and the girls 
kind of breaking away from the whole Serenity uh, and Dimian thing. Serenity comes back to the moon and tries sneaking back into the palace, and she just kind of pushes the door open, and there's Mars with just, I know what you did. <laughs> and then the other girl's kind of appearing like, hey, you're supposed to be doing princess stuff. Come on, we gotta go do princess stuff. You you shouldn't be going to Earth, especially not without us. Right. But just, like, Mars's face there was just such an exceptional example of kind of the the Usagi Ray relationship that I'm used to uh, from my old experience with the franchise. And it was, it was a really nice moment to see, and I really wish that Crystal had the time to give us, like, an entire Silver Millennium flashback episode, <laughs> where, like, we just, like, okay, we're gonna do a whole episode, like, oh, Usagi and the girls remembering stuff from their past lives, having these kind of pseudo-clip show, but all new stuff, because it's Silver Millennium stuff, of them just kind of hanging out, being in their past lives, and I, I love a whole episode of that. Because it looks like they've put a little bit of thought into it and how everyone was back then. But, again, we're not going to have time for it, and that's a little sad. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I think I'd like to see that. Uh, all right, well, I think we need to close out then. Um, yeah, I think that's that's everything we've got. Okay, well, uh, um, thanks for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Yeah, see you next time. This has been Moonspeak, bi-monthly discussion and review of Sailor Moon Crystal. Visit trialofheroes.wordpress.com to see text reviews every Monday after Crystal airs and hear new Moonspeak the Monday after that. Moonspeak is part of the Toe Network, where you can find articles and commentary on pop culture and genre fandom, including our flagship show, Uncommon Cast Rx. The opening and closing is a piano arrangement of the uh, new Sailor Moon Crystal song, Moon Pride, played by Josh Agarado, whose work you can find at josh.agarado.net and also on YouTube. There's a lot of cool work there, so go ahead and check it out if you like this song. <laughs>